if everything 2020 was about what separates people, like culture is what brings people together. I mean, it's through food, it's through storytelling, it's, it's through visual art and performing art and, and, and music. And that's what we wanted to do more of. I mean, I think that was the, the, the path forward. I mean, that's how you make cities equitable. If you think about your favorite cities across, you know, the nation or places you like to visit, whether that's Austin or Nashville or Miami or, or, or New York or L.A., I mean, those places understand the importance of culture as a, a, a product and embedded within the brand of the city. You're listening to Alan Bacon, co-founder along with Melina Jeffers of the cultural development firm Gang Gang. We talk about what Gang Gang is doing to create opportunities for artists of color and to bring people together in Indianapolis on this episode of Michael Loves Indie. Friends, welcome back to Michael Loves Indy for kind of a season two of the show. I took a long break in the summer and fall of 2021. Our family moved residences to another house in our same neighborhood, beautiful Fall Creek Place in Indianapolis, and that meant uprooting my music studio and podcast recording studio, which I've got set up now in the new place, and I'm really excited to bring you a lot of guests I hope you find interesting in 2022, talking about Indianapolis. And for this first episode of 2022, I wanted to feature a conversation with two of my good friends, Alan Bacon and Melina Jeffers, the founders of the cultural development firm Gang Gang. And if you've lived in Indianapolis, and if you lived in Indianapolis in 2020 and 2021, Gang Gang, it felt like, was everywhere in our city. They are a firm that is committed to changing our city through creating opportunities for artists of color, and they, that includes visual artists and musicians. They are very well known for the Swish Festival, which they put on as part of March Madness in uh, March of 2021, when Indianapolis hosted the entire NCAA Men's Division I basketball tournament. They are well known for the festival called Butter, which was a weekend-long festival featuring over 30 black artists, visual artists in the historic Stutz building in Indianapolis, and many, many other uh, partnerships that we get into. Um, I've known both these individuals for a decade. Um, They are partners in life as well as in work. They have five children and uh, are two of the hardest working people that I know here in Indianapolis, making a positive influence on the city. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Gang Gang, Alan Bacon, and Molly Jeffers. You can find out more about them if you Google Gang Gang Culture, and hope you enjoy the conversation. For making the time. I'm sorry this didn't happen sooner. Why, did, you, why didn't it happen sooner, Michael? Because you guys work seven days a week. <laughs> That's <laughs> the true. reason. No. Um, so, so, very, very true and embarrassing. Mm-hmm. So, I want to know everything about Gang Gang because I think I know a lot, but there's still some gaps. But before we get into that, I want to, I want to, I want you both to give us your life story if you could. <laughs> starting, um, starting with Molly. So, Molly, I'm trying to think. I met you, it was probably, 2010, I think. Where were we? I mean, what did I wonder how we met? I was working in the mayor's office, and one of my colleagues said, um, "Oh, you've got to meet Molly Jeffers. Mm-hmm. She is 
in a leadership senior leadership role at the Walker Theater. Yes, I was at the Walker. Was that yes. What were, yeah. What was what, what role were you in? Um, I was the director of marketing and programs okay. at the Madam Walker Theater Center. It was the theater center then. Now it's the Legacy Center. All right. Yeah, that was um, a crazy time. That was after I had spent about five years at the Arts Council of Indianapolis, where I kind of like you know, cemented my role or cemented my kind of seat in the art space here in the city and learned the lay of the land and all of the things. Um, and then went to the Walker and it was completely different. And I fell in love with Indiana Avenue and, you know, the, like the arts and culture part of my career kind of ran into the equity, race, conversations on diversity. And Indianapolis was starting to have a lot of those conversations and Working on Indiana Avenue, um, you know, that was just—it was interesting, right? Arts and culture and then all the race stuff and the, and just me being civic pride girl, right? Those are kind of my three buckets, and they all just kind of came together during that time. Um, but, yeah, I was there for about three years at the Walker, and I think I went on my first Lex during that time. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, I so remember being at least in the Walker office when I was well, on the phone. The Indy Chamber, I think I've mentioned it before, the Indy Chamber, my employer— takes 100 leaders to a different city every year, and it's called Leadership Exchange or Lex, and we go there for three days and study that city, and we'll get more into, because I'm I'm honored that part of the story of Gang Gang is is the story of Lex. Molly, I want to, for those of those listeners who might not know you, I might ask you to even go farther back than that, because this, sure. this is some stuff, there are gaps in the story. Yeah. So where were the seeds of that passion for the arts and, you know, history of Indianapolis and bringing people together? Where, where, if you were looking back at your life, um, life, life story, where, yes, nice. yes. <laughs> okay. When I was a girl. You grew, <laughs> when I was a girl. <laughs> you grew up here in Indy. I grew right? up in Indianapolis. I actually, in this neighborhood, I was in Broad Ripple until sixth or seventh grade when my parents said that we were going to move to 36th and Park. And that was like, what? 36th and Park? You know, like it was the hood for a girl who grew up in Broad Ripple, you know? Um, and so we moved down there, and my dad got really involved with the Neighborhood Association and started Watson McCord Neighborhood Park, you know. And in the triangular park right there in the middle, he worked on it. He had us, like, doing, like, picking up trash on Saturday mornings, painting trash cans, and really teaching us what community leadership was and community involvement and engagement and all of that stuff when I had no idea what I was doing or why this was important. I was just annoyed to be like the kid picking up trash, you know, from all of everybody's houses, all my neighbors' houses. Um, and so, yeah, I think those, you know, that was a, that was a seed or two or three that I didn't realize was um, planted. But I even remember working on like um, parades and cleaning up, um, I don't know, like debris from parades and cooking barbecue on, on the weekends when, you know, my dad just said that that's what we were doing. We were going to feed the hungry. I didn't know what that meant either. You know, we were just out there doing that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, we lived there at 36 and Park. I went to St. Richard's, a, a really awesome school that my daughters go to now, a predominantly white school, um, and went to an all-black church. So, like, from the very beginning, you know, I was already having these, like, conversations, even just with myself or with my family or whoever, about 
race and why I feel this way at school and this way at church. And then I'm in this neighborhood and it's much different from Broad Ripple. And my parents say that we're going to turn this neighborhood around and I don't even know what that means. Wow. You know, so there's just all these little like sparks of something that I don't know what to do with. And then I go to Burbuff, right? Make everything worse and more confusing. <laughs> Nobody in my neighborhood, you know, was going to Burbuff and I got made fun of for, for being driven to school versus riding a bus, you know? Yeah. So there's just all these elements, um, that were just kind of sitting there. And I think my career helped to like shift them out or or help me articulate what I was learning all all that time. Yeah. Um, Huge gap in there. What am I? Okay, so Burbuff and then Ball State. And I studied um, advertising at Ball State, which is really cool. Um, I would do it all over again. I think marketing is like the third most powerful thing in the whole world. Um, just behind music. Um, and yeah, advertising is cool because you can influence people to do things with words and and lines and color. And that's the most awesome thing. Um, yeah. What else? Keep going. Yeah. No, this is, this is <laughs> no, it's filling in the gaps. I'm not, it's, it's interesting. It's amazing. <laughs> like, um, I didn't know that part about your parents being so, I knew some of the other parts. I didn't know your parents being so um, involved in Watson McCord. And so people listening, so you could like walk to the state fairgrounds. Oh yeah. We walked to the fair every year. Yeah. 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 People parked at our house. Yeah. 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 We walked to the fair and uh, there were a couple of restaurants over there. And um, I remember like after high school, maybe going into college, um, people started like moving in our neighborhood. And I remember David Forsell that was at KIB when he moved to our neighborhood, it was like, oh, my goodness. And then there was a Starbucks at 38th and uh, Meridian for a while back in the day, if anybody remembers. And yes. it was like, oh, my goodness. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> Dad, you gentrify the neighborhood. <laughs> right. So this is theme. Is this what you wanted? <laughs> so this, this is interesting. So the, this is making sense, though. This consistent theme of, like, feeling like you've got, got a foot in different camps in, yeah. and in totally mm-hmm. different yes. communities. And Okay, that's that's very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And, also, and, and always wondering, like, what your role is or where your place is in yeah. all of the different camps. And they're also different. You know, yeah. that, that, that um, even the neighborhood transitioning and, like, people who were— leaders in our city starting to move in. And it was like, whoa, like this is different than us doing the barbecues on the Saturdays and feeding the people in our neighborhood because of whatever reason, you know? Um, Yeah. So all of that, Ball State happened, graphic design, advertising, great. Um, Had an internship at MS Communications the summer before my last year at Ball State. So that was neat. It was, you know, there were radio stations and radio at the time was a thing, you know, like, I mean, it's still a thing, but it was a bigger thing. Um, And radio sales was like a lucrative industry, you know? And so they hired me after that. That was my first job. I was working on The Circle. Um, I was on air a couple of times, but mostly writing scripts and mostly doing a lot of cold calling. Um, This one salesperson made me cold call <laughs> so many times. I don't know. And one, like one day and I started crying in the bathroom and I was like, I don't know what any of this is for. <laughs> why are we selling radio ads? Like I didn't get it. And I was yeah. like, but why are we doing this? And they kept saying, well, to sell radio, like to sell, to sell, to sell. And I thought, well, what's it really for though? Like wow. what's it do for people? What's it like, what's the real community reason? And there wasn't one. And yeah. I just, and I felt like, well, shoot, you know, I don't, I don't feel anything, so I don't know if this is going to last for me. So I was there for a year, and then I went to the Arts Council. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Walk with the, and we'll come back to you because there's a progression, too, that leads to gang gang. I'm going to switch to Alan Bacon. So, Alan, this is a rare occasion. 
I knew your dad at least five years before I knew you. And so when I worked for the city of Indianapolis again, Alan Bacon, what is he senior? Is he senior? Yeah, he's yeah. senior. Are you Alan Bacon Jr. Technically, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so Alan Bacon Senior was a senior administrator in the Department of Public Works. So you know, streets and stormwater and stuff like that. And he was this incredibly fit guy that would, you know, kind of imposing that would just walk around <laughs> very stoic, wouldn't say much. And then the, the, the story about Alan Bacon senior is, oh yeah, he plays every instrument, you know? So then, and he was always super nice to me. So then five years later, when I meet you, I think you were a senior leader at Harrison college yeah, yeah. and come to find out that, that you played every instrument as well, but <laughs> uh, sure. similar to Molly. I mean, what are the, cause I, there's, there are gaps in your life that I don't know a lot about. So yeah, help, yeah. help us out. Um, I think, well, I think, um, referencing dad is, is important because I mean, I mean, both my parents have been super, you know, just instrumental in just shaping me and, or at least giving me some options, some solid options. And, you know, growing up, um, I I was just always around music, uh, or, or, or things that, uh, just remind me of just music elements. So we just like record players and records would always be scattered, you know, uh, on the floors. And then we always had like every single instrument, musical instrument you could think about was in my house, uh, you know, growing up. And I just, I remember, you know, being small and like going on gigs with, with dad. Like that's how I remember just like certain events that happened throughout Indianapolis, like the Pan Am games. I just, I remember visually, everything about the Pan Am games because, like, you know, Dad had a gig at one of the, you know, one of the places, and it's just me just, like, standing next to him the entire time uh, every once in a while, like, tugging on his, you know, pants to fake like I had to go pee or something, like, while he's gigging uh, and, and playing. So um, he just, I mean, he, he took me around a lot uh, and just really exposed me, you know, to to music and just kind of what that life looks like a, a, as a musician, which is really really cool and 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 beneficial. But uh, like Molly, you know, just you know, growing up, there also was that you know community component. So aside from from the music, just you know, dad being a a pastor, not you know, not really having like a church home. So just like the city was his was his church. So I mean, just same thing, door to door. You know, getting donations from people. Um, we used to pass out like bread, and you just like had a pantry, and you know had a place where we stored you know furniture, and we you know dropping off you know furniture to to, to people, and just helping you know individuals experiencing homelessness. So I, I had a a similar like community engagement you know type type upbringing, but um, so yeah, so just you know, all those ideals and, and values, but just really fell in love. Uh, with music, so you know, took that route, you know, pretty strongly. Graduated from uh, Pike in '99 and uh, attended Indiana University, where I was a part of uh, IU Soreview, which my uh, both my parents were a part of the the first couple classes of uh, the installment uh, of that program at, at IU. And Dr. Cooper was was leading Soul Review at the time, for sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, that was that was, uh, that was Tyron Dr. Cooper's first year as uh, as director, which is my, my, my freshman year there. At IU, and it was like I learned so much about music and gigging and professionalism and just like the history of music and just everything that you know I was learning growing up as a kid. It just like kind of like took it 
next level. So now I'm, you know, gigging with Pops, but now I'm, I'm learning and performing the music of the people that he used to gig with. So like the Baby Faces and, and the After Sevens and, you know, um, you know, just a lot of the members of After Seven were actually in Soul Review as well. So it yeah. was like a, this, this whole, um, you know, circle of life that, you know, kind of hit Pops and then, then hit me. And um, yeah, but you know, I, as much as I gleaned from him and, and, and learned from, you know, both my parents, I didn't necessarily want to take the route that, you know, that, you know, that they, uh, that they took, you know, in, in life. I mean, dad has been with the city, you know, for, for so long. And I just remember there's a time after graduating college where I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And dad was like, just come work for the city. But we had the same name. You know what I mean? I, I kind of yeah, right. wanted just to do my own thing. Like, let me, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to just try to figure it out first, dad. And if I do need a job out, you know, I'll definitely call you. Thank you. Uh, and, and, and I did that. And just for a long time, it was, Oh, you're Alan Bacon's son, and that used to be like a a, a place of pride <laughs> for I me. When I met you, when I yeah. met you, that was, that <laughs> Alan, was even, yeah. and then now, uh, as you know, pops, you know, talking to him now, it's like, uh, oh, you're Alan Bacon's father. Nice. So you know, just how things just have come like super full circle, man. And you know, uh, big up and shout out to pops and the parents, just the upbringing. Yeah. The, the the focus of this conversation is gang gang and not any number of things, but you know, you and I have been in a band for over six years Yeah, and uh, that we, that came together somewhat spontaneously. Yeah. And I remember the band had been together two or three years when your parents came to see us at jazz kitchen. <laughs> and I remember like thinking it made me a little more nervous. And it's <laughs> not even my parents, sure, you, but I yeah. knew, I knew your dad from working with them. And I knew about how talented they both are. And like when they, when they came up after the show and we're talking about how much they enjoyed the show, that was like, that took like made my month. You know what I mean? That they, <laughs> sure. do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, man. It is, they're, they're huge supporters, man. As we get into gang gang, they've always have, have kind of been there you know every every step of the way uh but yeah just you know performances that there's been like like performances where i've performed in like holes in the wall like bars in iu and dad would just show up uh like what are you what are you doing now here, right? one thing what one thing before we get into gang gang i do want to establish this so ever since i've known you you've been that person and my listeners will know what it what it means if there's a guitar line around the room, Alan will pick it up and just start playing leads or there's a piano, like with the band had been together for a couple of years and we needed some extra keyboard support and Alan would just play these beautiful, we could always pretty much throw him a solo, you know, on piano or synthesizer or stuff like that. Bass similar. Is that, was that something that came to you early on where you kind of, you had a, a certain, you know, um, ability or is this, how, how did that, how did that develop? Yeah, I always thought I was going to be a drummer. So, I mean, so um, the drums was my my first instrument, my first love, and uh, I actually forget about that a lot. Um, but I remember coming home one day, and I just started playing drums at uh, at church, and I was telling my grandfather, I was I was super excited. I said, you know, granddad, and I'm playing playing the drums at church. I mean, he was a big you know jazz jazz buff and fan and, and bebop so we used to watch you know black and white because you know vhs and, and and listen to music all the time and but he told me that alan just say any body with two sticks can play the drums that's what he told me and it was like super deflating um but it kind of then i started looking at other instruments and i was like yeah well let me try the, the piano and like oh did that and just like just having that Hunger, I think, just in that creative element is as a musician, if there's just more stuff and then you just want to do 
all the stuff. So I never, yep. you know, really became like a virtuoso in, in like any instrument, but, you know, definitely pride myself on being able to kind of for the around. listeners, I'll just say, so So I've been playing, you know, keyboards and things like that for a long time. And my approach, um, and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to evolve beyond this, has always been very mathematical. Now, one thing I pride myself on is I can imitate any sound I hear, I can figure out, I can imitate it via a synth or an organ or stuff, something like that. That is a talent. That's amazing. However, um, I don't know. There are some people's whose brains just work differently and literally like, it would be some gig and something would come up. We'd need something on this song and we'd say, Alan, okay, Alan say, I'll, I'll play, I'll play the piano on this. And it's just an E flat. And it would just be the most beautiful and, um, you know, appropriate kind of, you know, improvised part for that song. And I cannot, I do not have any ability <laughs> to do that. You know what I mean? And yeah, you, do it, sure. you do not. So is that, is that something that came naturally or was that through like, was that through literally studying jazz or where does that? No, no. I'm, um, I wish I studied jazz and I, and I wish I had a, <clears throat> like a formal traditional, you know, background and, or, or could read music, but that's just, that's just feeling and, and emotion. So, I mean, just not having a lot of the, the technical know-how, it's just like what feels groovy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's kind of, and that's how I, I, that's how I like to play. And that's kind of how you just maybe develop your own little individual, unique style. Yeah. That's one thing I'm working on right now is trying to break it. Cause like, you know, if you studied a lot of music theory, a lot of times you'll play something and be like, well, that's, that's not in air quotes, right. You know what I mean? Oh, and I think sure. that's a limiter. Yeah, yeah. I think for a lot, a lot of us in any discipline that can be a limiter. It's like, you're trying to break out of what you were taught in school is like right or appropriate or, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Even though what's right and appropriate could be hard too. Like True. super, super dope. You no, know ki- no kidding. But yeah, I no can't, kidding. I can't do that stuff. So, so Molly, I want to, I'm going to get, I want to get back to then um, kind of filling in the gaps and what gets us to the launch of Gang Gang. So I've known you to have leadership positions in a few different organizations. You mentioned Indianapolis's Arts Council, the historic Walker Theater. Um, you worked for the Midtown organization mm-hmm. that was bringing a lot of different neighborhood efforts together. What do you think are the, what what do you what are the the steps for you that you think stand out in in leading up to this point of launching Gang Gang the last the last several years? Hmm. Well, first I'll say that listening to all the music stuff is way more interesting. <laughs> and shout out to supportive parents. Sure. Um, yeah, especially yours. Yeah. Right on dads. So in, in between the Walker and Midtown, which was a very interesting year, um, actually Visit Indie gave me my first contract as just a like a person, like an independent. Um, they asked me to do a diversity audit on their marketing, like on the visitor's guide, on the Visit Indie website, just like all of their outputs. They asked me to see if they were reflecting Indianapolis correctly, which is pretty cool and, a, you know, like an intimidating big job. And so shout out to Chris Gall, you know, that he was kind of like the first guy to say, hey, I need you to do something because you have a specific eye and you are where, you know, the three lanes of civic pride, arts and culture, and, you know, at the time we were all saying diversity, where those three things meet, you know, like you're right there. And we need you to do stuff. You know, we need you to to be doing stuff. And so that was kind of a first thing. And the cultural trail was launching. And so I got to help with Get Down On It, the, you know, the big reveal of the cultural trail. And that was a independent job. And then Connor Prairie hired me and then Eskenazi. And wow. I was just doing all this stuff around, you know, it was just as Molly. And then the city um, called, right? Plan 2020 was happening. And there was this role, the Love Indie Project Manager. 
And people kept sending it to me and they were like, you're perfect for this. Like, this is your, they made it for you. And I looked at it, I was like, yes, they did. It's amazing. <laughs> and so what I, you know, applied and um, got that role and just thought it was the best thing ever, right? Like, this is what I'm supposed to do in this city is kind of be a cheerleader and talk about ways that we can become more emotionally attached to our place. You know, how can we get people to stay in Indianapolis, um, to live within, you know, where you pay tax dollars, um, and, to, and to like it here and not to hang your head when you say that you live in or are from Indianapolis. And so, yeah, hashtag love Indy was like a huge moment for me um, and where I was able to kind of like think about the future of our city, um, strategize around it and think about the things that I thought were important for that future. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, a two-year thing and there was no money for somebody to be a love indie project manager after two years. And so it was like, oh shoot, what am I going to do? Because that was the best job ever. That's when I went to Midtown for a second, <laughs> um, just to you know think more about neighborhoods on the ground level because at Plan 2020, we had been talking about what neighborhoods should do, what they should look like when 2020 rolls around. And Midtown and Butler Tarkington, those that neighborhood was needing somebody on the on the ground level to help them think through it as well. Um, so that happened. Um, but I think those, you know, that time working with DMD, Brad Bobian and Brooke Thomas and just all of these thinkers, people who were thinking about the future of a city and what elements should go into it. And we were talking about things like love. And it was like, what the heck? You know, like that's city government doesn't do that, you know, and I get to be the person to talk about emotion, culture, neighborhoods, third places, and, like, and I was starting to, like, educate, like, be educated from a Brad Bobian, but then, like, talk to my city about the importance of these things. Um, I don't remember the question you asked, but I think it was something about a spark for ganging, and I think that that was a huge kind of moment. That was a, a, a turning point moment, and then, so Midtown didn't last for very long. It was great, but it was so micro. It was so like, it was only about 38th and Illinois. And I just, and I was used to and energized about thinking about my city at large, you know, the city from a, from a higher perspective, a higher altitude, as Asif would say, who was my next boss. (laughs) Um, Asif Bidet called and I had no clue who he was. And he asked, Mm -hmm. he sent me a text actually one day when I was sitting at Midtown and he said, have you ever considered the private sector? And I didn't, this was like a strange phone number <laughs> that said, have you ever considered the private sector? And I said, who's this? And no, not really. <laughs> and he said, it's Asif Bidet. And so I'm Googling Asif Bidet because I don't know who this person is or yep. why he knows me or why he's texting me. Um, and anyway, he goes on to say, I just bought the former GM stamping plant site. We should go to, we should go to lunch. And that was just it. So I go to breakfast with him and his partner. And he says that same, you know, he says, I, I, I just bought, 100 acres in downtown Indianapolis, and I need a person who thinks like you think and who thinks about the things that you think about, which is neighborhoods, love, emotion, culture, and people, and and all of that stuff. And if you come on board, you know, we're going to do this thing completely differently. We're going to, like, transform this urban area in a way that hasn't been done before. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. You know, like, real estate is not one of my three lanes. I don't know about this development stuff. You know, where I, from my seat, developers are the devil. You know, you don't you don't trust them. You don't work with them. But maybe this is a shot to change that narrative. And so I spent, I think, close to three years at Ambrose learning kind of the, the private side, 
what it's like not to go around asking everybody for money, right? But to have a budget yeah. um, and to really fall in love with a neighborhood and a place. And again, to think about my city long-term and a place long-term and how I can use things like um, arts, culture, people first thinking to to turn, to make that into something. Yeah. Wow. Um Alan, I want, I want to ask you, so in, when I knew you, you were campus president for um, a for-profit college. You've mm-hmm. been a, um, on the senior leadership team at United Way. And I'm trying to think, there's a there's a moment where the two of you launched this leadership program under Indy Chamber, my mm-hmm. employer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which I think is in par- part of what, part of what uh, sparked, well, your, your, personal and professional relationship I think. <laughs> for sure. that, that, but but yeah but what um, again filling filling uh, are there other other um uh you know points on the timeline before the launch of gang gang that come to mind yeah yes um yeah some some very critical points i think one that speaks to both of us coming together was leadership exchange i mean so we first met in uh, 2014 leadership exchange in nashville uh, music City. Um, and I think, um, so I mean, so having that experience and, you know, me talking with you and then Melina talking to the COO at the time about just our thoughts on the trip and what we wanted to do uh, possibly next year strategy-wise for the delegation to feel, you know, younger, more cultural, and just maybe even adding some different perspectives on, on what to talk about on these trips. And I think, at that point in time, um, you know, it was more or less like, okay, you guys just go do something then, then, yeah. then create something. Like, this is what another budget looks like. Yeah. And uh, let us know the goals and vision. So, I mean, it gave us an opportunity to make something together, right? Having similar but different experiences uh, and, and perspectives on things. But, like, we decided to... Um, create this program to focus on the creative economy. Uh, so just how does music and, and art and, and, and food and fashion, how do all these things impact economic development and, and mass transit and tourism? So I think that, you know, really was just the impetus thought of what the work that we're doing right now uh, with, with Gang Gang. But that was, a, that was a pivotal moment and just allowed us an opportunity to to maybe test it out just kind of see a reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And then, because I'm, and then what I recall, I can't believe it's been now, I guess six years ago, but trip to Toronto, there were you and a group of major employers recruited a group of 20 something, 30 something leaders um, to literally do the advanced trip to Toronto. But then it was almost like this um, community, this kind of network in and of itself has grown from that. Is that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> We're looking <laughs> at each other. Who should answer? Oh, yeah. Those are, I've heard Advanced 317 be compared to SKL and anybody who's, I don't know, in Indianapolis, you kind of, SKL is like a wow. rite of passage or yeah, whatever. Right. But like the, the, not even just like the friendships made, but the work, I think the impact, the stuff that we felt like we were doing in that group um, and the bonds that happen when you're doing work together. Yeah, yeah I've heard, you know, People saying like that was like an SKL experience, or it was better than my SKL experience. But I think too, and then but giving like two still like very young leaders at the time, just so much bandwidth mm-hmm. 
to, to play with. Like just, yeah. I mean, you pretty much just like just make a program, right? Was, yeah, yeah. Very cool of the of the chamber to say. Yeah. Listen, I'm getting like information over here, and you, somebody over here is saying the same thing. You guys make something. Yeah. You know, that's for, yeah. funny. for an organization to do that. It's yeah, and that cool. doesn't happen. It was not, yeah. it, it's funny. It was not calculated at all. You know, I mean, I wish I could say it. I think, but I think too, I think there was just and continues to be that much trust in you, you know, that we knew that mm-hmm. whatever you came up with, you know, and your and kind of your experience in your networks was going to be meaningful. Like I, I couldn't have predicted where it was going, but you know, yeah. you, if, if it felt like a blank slate, yeah. If you had a had a blank slate. No, it's super cool that it's still here. For and sure. that's kind of what gang gang feels yeah. like almost though. Like even you saying that, Michael, like people just kind of trust that would that you guys will put together something great. Um, I don't know. That's interesting. I, I feel like I've heard that throughout the last. I think year. it's the body of work, honestly, which is why I think, especially for the listeners who don't know you, knowing this thing, you both had stages of your life, you know, public, private, philanthropic, mm-hmm. you know, you guys do different things, but that's cause, so I think, I think it's like people trust the body of work, you know, coming to something mm-hmm. like this. So in the summer, summer of 2020, summer of 2020. I'm on a walk yeah, in my neighborhood. Sure. Cause we're all like, it's COVID and we're like, what is happening? <laughs> and Alan sends me a concept paper that you all are working on and it's very ambitious and I read it. And now What's going through my mind is, okay, this is really big. What's also going through my mind is two of my friends are going to quit. Good jobs. <laughs> yeah, good yeah. jobs. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Two of my friends are going to quit good jobs and go all in on this. And they have five children together. <laughs> and they have five yeah. children together. In school. Yeah. And so I call Alan and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this is really interesting, but this is really big. I would urge you to go more focused. And I think I've been proven <laughs> totally wrong in the last year along with everybody else. But I need you to know that I wasn't uh, reading it through the lens uh, of you can't do this. I was reading it through the lens of, oh shit, yeah. two people are going to, you know, quit their jobs and go all in on For this. Sure. And yeah. I guess the, I guess the, um, I guess the point though is now we sit here a year later and it's to your credit, the accomplishments of gang gang have far exceeded what you guys had in the original plan <laughs> as like your five. Yo. So you like you blew, you blew away your five year plan in one. Yeah. So, like, so tell it. So what is gang gang? To, and then we'll get into it. Yeah. First off, that concept paper is trash now. You got to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gang gang is a cultural development yeah. firm. We are working to make the creative economy equitable. Is it? Yeah. So I mean, I can go on, but I'm trying so to. I'm trying to say it a, in a in you're shorter. A, you're a curator. Sometimes this is just what I observe, and I don't know. Okay. Yep. Sometimes you're a creator. Is that right? Sometimes yeah. you're curator. You're a consultant. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You're yeah yeah. Keep going. All of those things. Yeah. Okay. Someone described it as being a curator of Indianapolis. Like if you were to curate a city and like add a cultural element on top of it, like you're curating a whole place, which is an interesting concept. Yes. Yeah, but I think it's just also um, another one of those strong alignments of all of our passions in one, you know, idea and in, in our strategy. But it's, um, Melina mentioned equity. It, it is a strong equity, you know, play when you focus on the creative economy because that's where you find most people of, of color, uh, just like within the arts. So I think, you know, for us, you know, sticking or, or being in the moment of, you know, 2020 and this with the health pandemic and, and the race pandemic and how do we come out of this? I mean, what does it look like? 
and there was a lot of questions, but there weren't a lot of answers or solutions. Right. Um, and just, you know, us and just, you know, talking, just wanting to make a difference, but in our own unique way, that that was that was the idea. I mean, that was that was that was the focus. That's so the, one one way one way that both of you have impacted me before the launch of Gang Gang, but I want to see if I'm for people who are listening who who are not because some some of our listeners are from outside Indianapolis who aren't familiar with Gang Gang. It seems like and I, one of like a central thesis of this, and tell me if I get this wrong, is there's a cultural history and then a current cultural richness, richness to Indianapolis, which goes unnoticed by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think about like, for instance, like when I moved here, I like having never been in Indianapolis, I was like, how is, how is everybody not talking about West Montgomery and the Mag- Montgomery <laughs> brothers? How yeah. is everybody not talking about the Hampton sisters <laughs> yeah, and yeah, JJ yeah. Johnson? Because yeah. as a music fan of uh, Freddie Hubbard, because as a music yeah. fan, I was like, Oh, well, I just figured that this was like, it's like the way Nashville you know, has, has, you know, celebrated country music heritage. And, and there's a group of people here who do that, but it's not the mainstream of Indianapolis. And yeah. so that just, that is one example. And then as I've gotten to know a lot of, including artists through you, I almost have the, it's almost the reaction of, oh my gosh, why have I not met her before? Yeah. Right. She's amazing. And I think there, there's like some, is that, help, help me out. Am I, am I on to something? No, I, yeah, no, uh, Okay. Well, I I think so. I think the story, kind of what you're alluding to, like, you know, the richness and this kind of the story of Indiana Avenue and how we have, you know, a ginormous cultural asset and all of the significant history and all of this that has like impacted our city in these great ways, but we've, we don't acknowledge it. Like, it's like, we're almost intimidated by the story or something at this point. And so like, that's just an example of how, you know, we talk about um, culture in America mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. black people specifically have influenced the culture of America, right? And have shaped it, um, but don't own the assets within it. Um, there's something there. There's something like reparational that needs to happen there. And, you know, the summer of 2020 was this like crisis moment for the world, but yes. also for Indianapolis. And like Alan was saying, like people are calling and saying, what do we do? You know, can yes. you come and speak or can you be on a panel or what's the answer? Can you write our plan? And <laughs> everything was about a cuss word plan, yeah. you know, which Indianapolis is really great at and plans are awesome. But at this time, like during, during that moment, we thought a plan is not the answer right now. It's yes. not, it's no. not the end. And we know what we would write in somebody's plan. So why don't we just go do the things ourselves? Why don't we hone in on culture? And we know that that if we could make that industry equitable, like we have a shot here and maybe, maybe touching racism, like ending racism someday. Yes. And that, and you know, so there's like, there's a light there at the end of that tunnel, and I haven't seen a light in any other strategy, in any other conversation, or in any other plan. Yeah, yeah, and I think too. I mean, if if everything twenty twenty was about what separates people, like culture is what brings people together. I mean, it's through food, it's through storytelling, it's, it's through visual art and performing art and and, and music, and um, that's what we wanted 
to do more of. I mean, I think that was the, the the path forward. I mean, that's how you make cities equitable. If you think about your favorite cities across, you know, the nation or places you like to visit, whether that's Austin or Nashville or Miami or, or, or New York or L.A., I mean, those places understand the importance of culture as a, a, a product and embedded within the brand of the city. Yeah. Right? So it's just like, yeah. how can we make indie understand the relevance of the creative economy as a bona fide industry to compete with agriculture and you know all the, and the tech industry as a, as a way to not only support people and in, increase and improve quality of life but also this is how you make your city better so i think of supply and demand and i hate to i hate to use that and apply it to something as transcendent as art but let me just bear with me for a second so like on the supply side we know we've got hundreds of underappreciated artists and you guys are helping bring their work to the front. And we'll talk about why in a second. I'm really fascinated on the demand side with what's happened. Cause I think you guys were onto this when, you know, with the advanced 317 program mm-hmm. that you created, but I've had, well, let's see, let me say this. I'm, I feel like I'm in, a, in an interesting role because I'm, I'm growing and evolving my own understandings. Chambers of commerce and mainstream organizations across America have a historically terrible record on all these things. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a, fa- it's just a fact. Yeah. That's not, yeah. And so what I've seen, especially in the last two years, I have some version of this conversation every week. CEO of a company or institution comes forward and she or he says something the following is like, I'm having conversations in my organization that I've never had before. And we know we have a huge problem. I just don't know where to start. Right. Now, of mm. course, that's I'm not the one to <laughs> navigate that. I'm the one to connect them. Yeah. Right, you know yeah, what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. I'm 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 going through a similar thing, but I feel like as I I know I know you said throw out the business plan from a year ago, but I think if there is something that you've really tapped into, and I think some of this is through your relationships, is that matching up. You know, you've got all these artists, but you understand. I think the two of you understand how to guide, mm-hmm. uh, coach, um, bring along. You know, those leaders who maybe they know they have a problem, but they don't know where to turn. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. It's almost like creative problem solving. That's yeah. how I describe it. It, it. And especially for folks who might approach us and say, I really want to work with you guys. Like, it seems so cool, but I don't I don't know in what way. And so we'll just have a conversation and there's some gap or deficit or problem that they're they're considering. And it's just a matter of like leveraging culture to help solve that problem, you know, because culture is, is what has like guided us anyway and is such a... a um, an important part and fab like piece of um the fabric of cities and so there's an answer there usually yeah. i don't know if that made any sense no yeah i don't have too much to add which but you're you're right though. i mean it is creative problem solving but it's also um providing a um maybe like a pathway just to be more audacious and bold if yeah. i can't think yeah. like this within my organization i can get another entity to kind of help push us in our challenges in ways that, you know, we haven't and or that we need or just recognize that we, you know, much more need now. But yeah, I think that's, that's part of it too. It's just, you know, it's leveraging culture, but also being very un- unapologetic with, you know, with our approach. Just, you know, we want to feel and experience change. And this is, I think, one of the ways to do it. So well, I think the expression is luck is where preparation and opportunity meet. So yeah. you guys had done a lot of a lot of things and a lot of initiatives, but I think the first kind of huge splash was the concept known as Swish around the. So, and I know it happened very fast for Indianapolis. Indianapolis bid 
um, to host this all self-contained men's Division One basketball tournament in Indianapolis. I'll for you know, I, I remember a phone call with Alan basically saying, "Well, we're going to do a lot of curating around this event with you know artists." And I said, "Oh, about." you know, how, so, so what, what's that like thinking you're say like 20 artists, you're like, well, uh, we're uh, about 250. So, so, um, what can you, can you, can you, uh, um, uh, tell me a little more about how that opportunity with the program that became known as Swish came about? Yeah, I think, you know, well, big ups to, you know, sports core and just Indianapolis, you know, just being ready to, um, to execute something, you know, on, on this scale of, of hosting the entire NCAA tournament here uh, in, in one city, which has never been done before. And so there's, there's a whole bunch of unprecedented, you know, type situations happening. So I think it almost makes it feel like nothing is unprecedented, right? So it's just more or less like, you know, we just have to execute. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, our role being named creative directors for Swish the performing art element is um, we just wanted to make it hot. We wanted to, you know, use this platform as a way to really elevate our performing artists and just kind of, you know, really at this point we can show the entire world how dope Indianapolis is and just the richness of the talent that we have uh, in Indy. So it, it really was, you know, going all out and just yeah. like super balls to the wall. Yeah. And, and Molly, one thing that I definitely noticed, I'm sure a lot of people did about Swish was it's challenging content in a lot of cases. And it seems like you brought artists to, to, to have, you know, hopefully unprecedented mainstream attention, mm-hmm. but not censoring any of right. the, any of the artists. Yep. Is that, is that a, yeah, yeah, well, and I was just thinking about how um, it we needed the arts in that moment, right? Like to host that event, that series of events. I, I'm trying to imagine what it would have been like without Swish mm. um, and how that was such an opportunity to put art and culture like on display, not just in a decorative way, but in a way to say, this is how we recover you guys. This is what, um, this is the vibrance of our downtown and being able to show that during um, Swish, but yes, I, I think that there were hun- like what five hundred and forty three artists yeah, so, involved, yeah. and not much. I mean, Alan was very Jeez. intentional, and he, you know, led this program, but intentional about yeah the censoring aspect and and giving all kinds of artists a shot. Like, here's your platform. You haven't been gigging for a while, like no. since you know for that year or for the the year prior. Um, like, here's your stage. What do you want to do with it? And so it was. I, I it felt like it was empowering for all of those artists. No, and I think it was also a, a way to to galvanize our art community. Like I don't think has has been done in in recent years or something like this, where you do, you know, have so many artists on the same bill. So so we use and, and leverage that as a way to kind of bring our community closer together. But you know, we clocked um, over two hundred and sixty performances that occurred within a, a four week span. Um, which is, uh, you know, still kind of crazy to to say out loud, but uh, we have that much talent in Indianapolis to be able to say that yeah. out loud for sure. Well, and then, and then, you know, so some some companies or organizations that would be the focus of what they do in an entire year, okay? And yet, the two of you have done all these other things. I want to mention butter too, because that's uh, unprecedented. Can it, so for people who didn't see butter in twenty twenty, um, can you uh, talk about that? Uh, yeah, if event. It, if if Switch was was my baby, Butter was was definitely Melina's baby. So I'll let you go yeah. ahead and uh, okay. introduce Butter. Sure, 
butter should not have happened on the scale that it did in the first year that it did. Yeah, no. Butter um, is a fine art fair that happened in downtown Indianapolis. We had a goal to um, highlight, lift up, celebrate art made by black people, by black artists. And so um, all of the work in the show was by black artists from around the country. Um, we had a commitment to at least 75% of them being Indianapolis-based. Um, and we had a goal to sell 100% of the works, which is very ambitious for any art fair, and to give 100% of the profit to the artist, which is not a common practice. You know, like artists are having to give 15, 20, up to 40% of whatever they make in these shows. Um, so again, that whole reparational aspect was coming into play here. Um, so yeah, we ha- we decided to have an art fair as our kind of signature event. Most of what we have done in the last year or, and what we were being asked to do or how we were being approached maybe after Gang Gang started was in a very collaborative way, you know, work with us on this or partner with us on this, which was fantastic and fabulous. And it felt like, well, what about something that's only ours, that's solely ours, so we can like talk about it in, in, in a gang-gang way and show, like, what gang-gang is, is kind of here to do. Um, and, and Butter was that thing. We had a goal to sell 1,000 tickets. We saw almost 4,000 people over that weekend. Wow. Brought new life into the studs, which is, you know, in a period of transition itself. Um, and it was just really celebratory. It, it, it felt felt really good, and we, we sold a lot of um, artwork. I should have stopped you. The origin of the name Gang Gang. Again, I've heard a little bit, but can yeah. you, for those who aren't aren't familiar, and they can find you at ganggangculture.com, correct? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Or, yeah. Or, yeah, what's or IG is probably even like a better place. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, so it's, um, it's quickly here. So just story. So we came up with the whole entire concept of the organization on a Thursday night. Um, and then the very next night, we went back into our brainstorming think tanks. So what do we call this thing that we just came up with? Um, and Alan was pacing yeah. the living room, just saying words, just like saying like table, tote. You know, like, <laughs> I was like, no, think of things that have to do with like culture and cities. And sure. He's just saying words and he said gang. And then he said gang, gang. And then he said light switch. And I'm like, wait a minute. Gang gang is really cute, you know, like in hello advertising major. So I'm seeing it like it, it looks really good. And so we go to the dictionary and, like, look up what it means. Do you want to take over? Go ahead. Okay. This is, this is my favorite part. Well, say it. No, I like to hear you say it. <laughs> so we go to the dictionary. Me, mostly. I'm a a, a word freak. Um, and we go a couple dictionaries back, right? Look at the history of this word. And gang means a journey. It means a way. That's the definition of the word. And so we thought, what the heck? It doesn't mean, like, groups of, of black men that are criminalized, (laughs) like going out and doing bad things. Like, no, that's totally made up. It means people or a set of things that are on a journey together. And we thought, oh my gosh, it's perfect. It's a way to reclaim a word. Again, this whole like effort around like reclamation and reparations. Like now we can educate. It's another like advocacy option or opportunity um, to tell people like what this thing means. It's people on a journey together. People that want to like do this equity thing with us. Yeah. And it's also just a, a nod to hip hop too. I mean, so right. just not having that. Yeah. Do you know what you guys I, this just hit me. It's something something that you guys both do that's really unique. I don't think I've ever verbalized this. So as I think about again, you know, and I share with I share with you guys privately, like 
the way the national politics have bled over into the local politics now is something I really uh, sometimes resent. And I just have to do, as long as I'm in this job, I have to just deal with that. Mm -hmm. That is a part of it. Okay. So you got that. And then you got the thing I mentioned before, which is very much a thing. And I know like you've got a lot of corporate clients too, because I even showed up at the, <laughs> I even showed up at a, at a video shoot for oh, yeah, a yeah. very established Fortune 500 company <laughs> and you guys were producing and I had no idea. You know what I mean? Hey, so, yeah. so you guys have, have, have been very, very successful yeah. the, And this thing about companies knowing they have a problem and institutions knowing they have a problem, but not knowing how to fix it is like a thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like, the two of you have a unique ability to, I'm just going to say it, people like me and other people and even like even people older than me running big institutions of a different generation, you have an ability to bring them into the conversation like they're a family member mm. participating that makes it, because I'll be because one thing that's out there and it shouldn't be this way is a lot of people just afraid to say one thing. Like yeah. if I engage with this work and yeah. trying to diversify my company mm -hmm. or diversify my board of directors, blah, 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 I'm going to say the wrong thing and then yeah. I'm going to be done. Exactly. And, that's a, and that is right. no excuse. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? That's but that's a thing. Yeah. But you guys like, I think by creating these experiences and the relationships, I mean, Alan, it's, it's with like with music. Like I always, I kind of feel like I'm in, in on it. You know what I mean? I th and I think that I think that's it takes a special it takes us you know special kind of people to to do that. Is that is yes. that calculated or is that yeah. yeah? Tell me tell me about that. Yeah, I feel like I'm talking too much, but you you do you have something no, to say? Yeah, I'm coming in. Okay, um, that is so right, and yeah. that is so. I, it's, thank you for saying that. Mm -hmm. We can't end racism if we can't talk about it. You know, so so much of this is about um, an alternative to having the conversation or an alternative way to have the conversation and to approach this whole thing. You know, like the plans that I was talking about before, the diversity plans, the equity plans, and the serious rooms and the cultural sensitivity trainings, like those are important, right? But they're always with the same tone and the same mood and the mm -hmm. same attitude. And there's not an alternative, bright, fun way to also like do this work. And so I think that's why maybe people are attracted to ganging because it's a fun, bright, cultural, um, fun way to talk about equity and to do equity work and to say, yes, we've got to have these conversations. Like, you can't offend me. I am not easily, like, I I am a safe space, you know? And so it's being able to yes. go into places and conversations and at tables and saying, hey, we've got this bigger problem, bigger mm -hmm. than us to solve. So we're going to, like, let's put it all on the table. Let's talk about it all. And I feel like it's like I, there's a ton of change that needs to happen. And I feel like you guys, I feel, I feel like you're you're pushing people, myself included, and they don't even realize it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ooh, even better. <laughs> no, yeah, because I— You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. And, yeah, I think this, you know, that's just the beauty of, you know, having a culture conversation— versus a race conversation or anything yeah. else. I mean, so, yeah, we'll talk about music, but we're going to learn the same things. Like, we're going to do everything that your plan, you know, or a plan, you know, says to do, but um, we're going to do it sharing a beer at a festival, you know, watching, you know, the Black Keys and the Black Crows perform, uh, you know, versus uh, sitting in a, you know, three-hour tutorial on yes. why I should not hate you. 
right? And Versus, those are important too. Yeah, those right. are yeah, yeah. Right. But it's just, it's a, yeah, but it's, it's, but that's all it is, right? Yes. So it's like so. What is the other side of it? Yeah, I think that's one where where I know my obviously my my life story is very is is you know you guys have different life stories. My story is very different as well. But I think one thing that though we all have in common because we've compared notes is oftentimes. I get a lot of flack that I'm not being confrontational enough, mm. especially in the political arena. Um, and I know you guys get some of that too. How do you, you know, do 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 you do you do you kind of take the opportunity with people to sort of explain it, saying, "No, no, no, we're 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 infiltrating the the inside," you know? <laughs> Only so many people would get that, though. I don't know that we've been able to have that many conversations about it because you have to be like so authentic and open and vulnerable. Interesting. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, then this the feeling that you are on the inside um is I guess I guess it's a, it's a real depiction of just just reality because I think we are in in a certain sense, but I think Indy has allowed us to grow up inside. It just didn't gang gang didn't just happen and just all this great stuff is happening. Like so this is, you know, 20 years of Melina's career, 20 years of my career, knowing the Michael Hubers and the Mario Rodriguez's and the Juan Gonzalez's and the David Lewis's of the world. Um, and, you know, building that relationship through culture. Yeah. Right. Now we can talk about culture in different ways. And I think yeah. that's kind of where we are right now. But yeah. And talk to our peers and friends about it, like in a way that you would talk to a peer and a friend. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So, I know you guys. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have to do a part two. I mean, at the first of the year, because I want I want to get. We're gonna have to do a part two. Except this is gonna be like more about. Um, I want to get into if you're like a leader of an institution or a company, like how can you engage and create opportunities for the artists in meaningful ways? I feel like that needs its own conversation. Mm-hmm. I'll come. Sure. I'll come to yeah, you guys. Yeah. Um. Anyway, but but before before I let you guys get get on um, with your day. Um, what what can people expect? Because we were saying as we sat down before the before the recording ran, you know, it, you know, you're entrepreneurs oh, yeah. now, and you're only as good as your last deal, right? right? Yeah. So you have Gosh, swish, the pressure. So swish <laughs> blew away expectations. Yeah. Butter blew away expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do you, where do you, and I'm not I'm not trying to bring any more pressure, no pressure. but it's like yeah. But where do yeah. you, where do you where do you where will you go in 2022? You've got a you've got a program coming up. I don't know if you want to talk about it. Butter 22 is going to be amazing. Um, that's going to be a thing. Yeah. So it's going to be every Labor Day weekend now. But it's going to be a thing, and I think you know we're we have a interesting opportunity right now where we don't have to prove as much of anything now, and we don't have to kind of market gang gang in a way to introduce gang gang to the world. I mean, so like we're we're here, so now we can really spend some time to strategize how do we want to move. The needle. I mean, what does that look like? It's just like um, these events. These events that are totally different. Do you think that could still become a thing where you're changing the context and you're um, like, you know, like like hundreds of artists around, mm-hmm. you know, NCAA basketball? Is could that could that continue to be a part of it, or is that all? For up sure. Or? I, yeah, hope, I mean, that, those things are will always stay, right? Like we're we're adding an artistic or a cultural element to something. Um, that, that'll stay. And I think that's the easiest thing for people to ask for. Mm-hmm. What I'm excited about in 22 is kind of, is the advocacy and being able to, you know, I want to put culture makes racism harder on a billboard, you know, like stuff like that. 
And one of our funders is encouraging wow. us to um, get our messaging out there a little bit more because, you know, there's our messaging, but then it plays out via these activities, you know, these cultural happenings. But that doesn't always have to be the thing, you know, like how can we advocate in um, in other ways? So I'm excited about yeah. something like that. And just bringing more awareness to artists as we refer uh, to them, but and they're also entrepreneurs. So yeah. what does that look like when you, you know, get to the point where you're, you understand the value of an artist, but not the worth of their entrepreneurialism. So how well, how wow. how can that change <clears throat> how we approach, how we see the creative economy as a bona fide industry when we look at all these visual artists and performing artists and just people that we gig with and just know as actual entrepreneurs because at the end of the day, they are. Wow. Right? Um, so, And just how does that change our small business strategy as a city? So yeah. what does the city say? What does the city council say? What does the chamber say? When we get behind just this idea of, okay, we have been neglecting the so biggest, many small businesses. The, the biggest, you know, demographic of small businesses, um, and how can that really impact, you know, the city? Yeah, that that support system is nowhere near where it needs to be. That's definitely a, mm-hmm. a, a definitely a thing that I've seen firsthand the last two years, for sure. And I think when we when we fix that, um, it's going to be just a, another elevated level Absolutely. for Indianapolis. I mean, for sure, because then we'll get to retain our talent. Yeah, and then they'll create here, and we get the benefit of that production. Versus, I, I need to go to Nashville yeah. for the gig. I got to go to LA because I can't make it here or Atlanta. Um, so yeah, so what does that look like when we, you know, give all the resources and you know, really support this group like we yeah. should? Well, I'm I'm really excited for you know see what uh, Gang Gang has in store for 2022. I probably don't thank you guys enough. I mean, I've. It makes me feel good if I've helped in some ways. You know, you guys are very kind with the network, but the two of you have helped me so much, not just in um, my own personal growth in terms of just how I view the community in these things, but think of all the people I've met through you, you know, and that's helped me. I mean, that's helped me personally. That's Same. helped me in, in my in my day job at the chamber as well. Same. Yeah. Thank um, you, Michael. No, I mean, seriously. Shout out to Hubie. So, yeah. um Anyway, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to have a part two for sure. Um, Alan and Molly, thanks so much for spending the last hour. And um, everybody, you can check out Gang Gang on Instagram. Yeah, yep. Gang Gang Culture. Gang Gang Culture. Um, I I mean, if you're listening and you know you've got diversity issues, inclusion issues, your your young employees or any employees for that matter are challenging you to do things differently. I also highly recommend these two as just someone you can call and just have a conversation with. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> Our funders would like that. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.